always said, Graver Road's glad that you're here and that you're welcome and hope that um, if you will, <clears throat> if you have opportunity, stay with us to, after worship. Uh, we're going to have barbecue in the fellowship building, so uh, we'll have a meal together and, and everybody's welcome. Um, this morning, <clears throat> we're doing an the adult classes are doing an expository survey of the book of Romans. We're opening up the book of Romans and we're exposing what Paul is writing to the Romans. And so far, <clears throat> Paul has shown that, um, that Jew or Greek, which encompasses the entire world, everybody is guilty of sin and needs a Savior. And he's also shown that <clears throat> salvation comes by the grace of God, God's sovereign grace, instead of destroying sinful man, chose to show mercy to man. And by that grace and through our faith, by obedience to Christ, we can have salvation. And so, in chapter 7, Paul showed that... <clears throat> that people that we have this terrible conflict going on inside us. And I know when Paul was talking, he was talking to me. I have this. I don't know if you have this. I think we all have this. This, this idea that I do those things I don't want to do. And I don't do those things that I want to do. And those things I know I shouldn't do are the very things that I do. We've got this conflict going on in front of us. In fact, Paul says it's a universal truth. It's a law. And so in chapter 8, Paul says, I know now, though, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For everybody who's in Christ, this conflict goes on, sure. But for those who are walking and living in Christ, there's no condemnation for those people. In fact, he will finish verse 8, or chapter 8, by saying, <clears throat> I'm convinced that neither height nor depth, nor principality, nor life or death, nor anything in this creation can separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. Nothing can separate us from God's love when we're in Christ Jesus. But that doesn't mean... <clears throat> That we can't be separated from the love of God. We can be separated from the love of God. And how do we be, how can it, how is it possible to be separated from the love of God? Fall back into the light. Fall back, yep. Yeah. Stop walking in the light as He is in the light. Choose to be separated. That's right. To be outside of Christ. To be the love of God is only for those who are in Christ, and we'll learn what that means here in a moment. <clears throat> but at this time, at this time in the world, you have a world of nations. But for so long in the past, it's divided into two, two, it's just divided into two groups, Jew and Gentile. And so at this time when Paul is talking about this. There's one group that almost wholeheartedly has rejected the Christ. That does not have faith in Christ 
and has, is not in Christ. And, and, it's, and it's either one of these two groups, the Jews or the Gentiles. And who is it this time? It's the Jews. That's right. So, you have to be in Christ to have salvation. But the Jews, the Jewish nation as a whole, has generally rejected the Christ. Not everybody, not every Jew has rejected the Christ, but not every Gentile has accepted the Christ, okay? So, so Paul is, um, <clears throat> is going to show that, Paul is going to discuss in chapters 9 through 11 this idea, and he's going to deal with this idea of the Jews, of the Jewish nation that has rejected, that has rejected the Christ. That's what we're going to talk about in this next chapter, because you can see an abrupt change. Paul is talking about salvation. He's talking about about the great about the great blessings in in Christ. And then, whenever he switches to um, whenever he moves from chapter eight into chapter nine, <clears throat> well, it, at the end of eight, he, in thirty nine, he says, "Nor the height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus." Chapter eight, thirty nine. And then he then he says, "I tell the truth in Christ." I'm not lying. My conscience also bearing witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart. <clears throat> for I could wish that I myself were cursed from Christ for my brethren, for my countrymen, according to the flesh. So Paul makes a very abrupt change right here. He, he goes from talking about these blessings to, to, to saying, I'm telling you the truth. I love my brethren. In fact, if you look at it, Paul was actually suffering because of, because of the Jewish rejection. So, Paul is going right here in these, in these first three verses. Paul is trying to provide assurance to the readers that he loves them. And he's the ambassador of God. He's the apostle of Christ. And he's the bondservant of Christ. And so he's wanting to assure that that he does love that he does love the Jewish nation. In fact, he even suffers for them to the point where he says <clears throat> that he's willing to be cursed from Christ, to be separated from Christ for his brethren. Now, that really hit home for me whenever I was going through this study because in India I regularly taught, I had a sermon where I taught, there is nothing that we want to give up for heaven. There's nothing in this earth that's worth giving up for heaven. And I showed through the scriptures that that's the case. Not wealth, not health, not family. It's nothing in this life is worth it. But Paul says, I'm willing to be accursed. I'm willing to be separated. So, Paul was suffering for these brethren. He was suffering for his people. And um, I think it just goes to show a couple things. <clears throat> Shows just how precious a soul is to God, to God's ambassador, to God's apostle. And it also shows the type of person that Paul was. Paul was a person of compassion. Paul was not... Paul, Paul could get lit up. He could, he could light a fire under some people. But Paul had a compassion 
for brethren, for those that he loved and, and who were suffering. So, so it seems that some may have concluded that, um, that since the Jews weren't saved, they were God's chosen people, right? Since they're God's chosen people and they're not saved, well, <clears throat> does that mean God's promises failed? Does that mean that God didn't keep His word? And that's and that's where we're going to go to um, in um, in verse six. <clears throat> the Jews presumed. In fact, they had teachers who taught there was nothing that a Jew could do to 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 lose salvation. Jew could do anything. You're Jew just by your lineage, just by your birthright. You cannot be separated from heaven. And um, but now now it seems like. They're saying, but Paul, you know, we've got Jews over here who are outside of Christ, who've rejected Christ, and you said they don't have salvation. Does that mean that the, that God's word has failed? In verse six, he says, "But it is not that the word of God has taken no effect. God's word hasn't failed. God's promises didn't fail, and He's going to. And the key to understanding this idea is in verse eight." In verse 8, he says, that is. He starts out, that is. Those who are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as the seed. So, Paul is saying, just because you're born, just because you have Jewish lineage, doesn't mean that you're a child of God. Just because Abraham... You're the descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Doesn't mean that you're of the seed of God. In fact, he goes on to say, the children of the promise are counted as the seed. The children of the promise are the ones that are God's seed. Now, where does this, where's, what does he mean, this, the children of the promise? Well, he'll explain that, but you've got to go back all the way to Genesis chapter 22. If you remember in Genesis 22... Abraham was given a son, a son he loved, an only son that he didn't have until he was way past the possibility of ever having a child, which showed that God gave him this son. And God said, now take that son, that son that you love, and you bless that son. I'm sorry, you sacrifice that son. You give up that son to me. And, And Abraham did that. And before Abraham did that, God stopped him. And he, he said, now I know that you fear God. And because of that, in 22.18, God said to him, In your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you obeyed my voice. So, so um that's who the children of the promise are. The children that are the seed that, that Paul talks about here are the children that are coming by this promise. The one where God promised to bless all the nations of the earth. And, um, and Paul's going to go on and explain that in verse 9 and 10. Uh, I'm sorry, in, um, yeah, in 9 and then also in 10 through um, 13. He says... He's going to he's going to do a comparison, or he's going to bring to their memory two 
two groups of families. And, and the first one he brings up is, is Sarah. I'm, uh, let's see, yeah, it's Sarah. And it says, in verse 9, he says, For this is the word of the promise. At this time I will come to Sarah. I will come and Sarah shall have a son. So, what do we know about Sarah? Sarah was the, the wife of Abraham. And Sarah was barren until she was very old. And Sarah tried to help Abraham and help God with his plan to bless the nations. And so, Abraham had Ishmael through Hagar. So, Abraham's firstborn was Ishmael through Hagar. And yet, Paul points out that the promise didn't come through Ishmael, the firstborn. The blessings always go to the firstborn. But the promises didn't go to Abraham's firstborn or any other children. The promise is going to come through Sarah. And so, so he goes on to verse 10 and he does the same thing with Rebekah. And he says, and not only this, verse 10, but when Rebekah had conceived by one man, even our father Isaac, well, it's verse 12, it was said to her, the older shall serve the younger. So the promise, this promise, the older one will serve the younger, the, great, the younger will be greater, came to Rebekah even before her children were born or before she conceived. And so, what do we know about that? Well, the promise came to Jacob. But, where does the promise, where do the blessings normally go? They normally go to the firstborn, which would have been Esau. But by God's sovereignty, by God's choice, God chose to bypass Esau for some reason. We can speculate on that, but God chose, just like He did with Isaac, He chose Jacob. And so, and so when we step back and we look, and you know this, where did the Messiah come from? We know... After these promises happened thousands of years ago, we know today, where did the Messiah come from? Who did the Messiah come through? Did He come from Ishmael? No. Where did He come from? He came from, not Ishmael, but Isaac. Yeah. Did He come from Esau? No. He came from Jacob. He came through just the Messiah. He physically came to us through these lineage that God promised would, would be. And so, Paul is making the point. God's promise didn't fail. God fulfilled His promise. The Messiah came through this lineage just like He said. And those descendants that hold on to the promise are God's seed. The problem was, the Jews rejected the Messiah. They as a nation were rejecting the Messiah. But And so Paul is showing that just being a child of Abraham, just having that lineage, doesn't mean that you're of Israel. Just being born of, of Israel doesn't mean that you're of Israel. In fact, in fact, if you'll read with me in Galatians 3.26, I think Paul does a, a very good job right here Galatians 3.26, and summarizing what he's saying right here. <clears throat> he's writing to the Galatians and he says, For you are all sons of God 
through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ. And, look at this in verse 29. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. There you go. God kept His promise. Paul wrote to the Galatians. This is exactly what he's trying to tell the Romans. This is what he's telling the Romans. God kept His promise. And and God's promises didn't fail because Israel rejected it. God's promise, God kept His promise. And those who are now God's children are not based on lineage, but based on the promise. That's why it's so important to be in Christ. That's why Paul tells us twice in Romans and Galatians, we're baptized into Christ. We have to be in Christ in order to have this heritage. But you know, something else that it talks about, and this is kind of a side note, I, I don't know, I debate whether I want to even go here, but but I read the, the, um, the Tim LaHaye books, Left Behind, and, you were, and, and, and whenever I was growing up, there was Hal Lindsey, and he had the late great planet Earth. And all of this was about premillennialism and how God, how Israel was the chosen people and how God was going to, or Jesus was going to come back and establish his kingdom in, in Jerusalem and, you know, have the thousand year reign. And, and, and I don't know what all of that is, but, um, but the point is, if anybody wants to assert that Israel today is God's chosen people, Paul's going to argue that Israel today is not God's chosen people. In fact, he'll say there's a remnant. There's always going to be a remnant. But God's chosen people are those who are in Christ. And if you're a Jew at this time or today, you've got to get in line just like everybody else. Your lineage won't help you. Salvation is only one way through the gospel of Christ. So we're going to move on. And Paul's going to build on this idea. Remember, we're doing an expository sermon, uh, expository lesson, so we're just going to see what the Scripture says. And, and in 14 through 18, we're going to see that Paul will build on this idea that God shows mercy to those who have, have faith in Him. God brings salvation, not to the lineage, but only to those who have faith in Him. Paul will do that by showing how God applied mercy. You know, it's interesting, when you look at the mercy of God, you you see a very good example of it when Moses is coming down off the mountain with the the stones. And, And Joshua tells him, there's something going on in the camp. And, and, and they come down there and the children of Israel have made a golden calf. And now they're worshiping that golden calf. And, and Aaron says, well, I threw it all in the fire and out came this calf. Right? So, um, uh, but at that point, or before they get to that point, God tells Moses, he says, He says, I'm going to destroy them all. 
He says, I'm going to take you, Moses, and I'll make a, a great nation out of you, and I'll fulfill my promise through you. And Moses pleads on him. In fact, that's, this is, when Moses pleads for him, that's the only other case in the Bible where a man wishes that he could be blotted out or cursed. Just like Paul did here, Moses did. Moses said, blot me out, but save them. And so, and so, God had mercy on him. Now the point is, would God have been justified if He would have destroyed him right there? Sure. He could have. They, they had, had, had gone, against, uh, gone against His will. They were disobedient. They had another God that they were worshiping. They had an idol. And God would have been completely justified to destroy them. But the thing about it, <clears throat> when God showed mercy, it's because it's His sovereign choice. It's His choice and His choice only whether He wants to show mercy or whether He doesn't want to show mercy. And so Paul is going to get into that even more. But just keep in mind, when God shows mercy, that's God's choice. He has the right, just like any king, to show mercy to those whom He wants to show mercy to. And He doesn't have to show mercy to anybody that He doesn't want to show mercy to. So, but, but Paul is going to expand on this idea of, of salvation by faith by showing that God, by showing who God shows mercy to. So it, it seems like whenever you come to verse 14, that some of the Jews were confused about God's character. Some of the Jews may have thought that, um, well, if God shows mercy to one person, but not to another person, then God must be unrighteous. Is God showing favoritism? Is God showing partiality? And we know that God's not partial. God doesn't show favoritism to man. But but the idea in verse 14, let's read it. What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? And Paul says, certainly not. And in, in 15 through 18, Paul is going to use God's mercy and God's sovereignty and compare two men, compare two men and use that to show that God is not being unrighteous, but that God can choose to bless who He wants. So in verse 15, we read, For He says to Moses, I will have mercy on whomever I will have mercy and I will have compassion on whomever I will have compassion. Now, if you if you look at this scripture and you go back to this scripture and you and you look at the events that's going on, does anybody know the events that's going on right here? A feather in your hat if you do. I had to I had to go back and look it up. It's the point where where God is about to reveal himself, to show himself to Moses. And Moses and God tells him, you can't see my face, but I'm going to hide you in the rock and I'll pass by and I'll hide you with my hand and you can see and you can see my backside. And the point is, no man has seen God and lived, but God chose to reveal as much of himself, as much of his glory 
to Moses as he wanted to. Now, does that mean that God's unrighteous because he doesn't do that to you or me? God hasn't done that to me. I don't know anybody else he's done. But does that mean that God's unrighteous because he didn't do it to the other Jews? Moses had a very, very, very special relationship with God. And and <clears throat> there was a time when God said, Moses, you get up and go to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh did, and Moses didn't want to go. In fact, in Exodus 6, Moses said to God, he said, Behold, I'm of uncircumcised lips. How shall Pharaoh heed me? I don't have good words. I don't have strong, you know, I don't have a strong personality or whatever. How's Pharaoh going to listen to me? God actually had to give him Aaron. He, God gave him a staff. And, uh, and then finally, in verse, uh, Exodus 7, verse 6, it says, Then Moses and Aaron did so, just as the Lord commanded them, so they did. So they, Moses didn't want to do it, but God kept giving him evidence, kept providing things for his faith, and Moses' faith eventually comes around to the point where Moses goes. He, he may not know exactly how, he may not even know or think that he's capable. But God said go. Moses has faith that God knows what's best. And so Moses is going to go. Now, let's look in verse 17. For the Scripture says to the Pharaoh, For this very purpose I have raised you up, that I may show my power in you, and that my name may be declared in all the earth. So now we're talking about Pharaoh. And at this point, <clears throat> this, this comes out of the seventh, out of the seventh um, curse that God brings on the land, God gave Pharaoh overwhelming evidence of who he is, of who God, of God's power. Pharaoh's magicians even understood who God was, and that it was all the things that were happening—the darkness, the hail, the 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 fleas and the and the frogs—all of that, the the water problem with the water, they recognized that by the hand of, of um, that it was by the hand of God. It's really likely that Pharaoh understood that too, but he hardened his heart. His heart was hardened. And we don't have time to go into it, but just because it says God hardened his heart doesn't mean that God did that. In fact, um, Lipscomb says, does, Lipscomb says, when God says, I'll have mercy on whom I'll have mercy, He means that He will have mercy on those who confess and turn from their sins and transgressions. Solomon wrote in Proverbs twenty-eight thirteen, He who covers his sins will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. So, so as kind of a side note, when God talks, when we read about declaring God hardening Pharaoh's heart, it doesn't mean that God made Pharaoh do anything that he didn't want to do. God presented the cases. And Pharaoh hardened his heart. It says that several times. And chose not to obey God. And so, so Moses, uh, sorry, Paul is coming to the point. He's saying God showed favor to, um, or showed favor to Moses. And we know what Moses did. Moses did what God said. But he chose not to show show favor to Pharaoh. And it was Pharaoh who after who even after overwhelming evidence would not listen. 
So Paul is um, Paul is making the point that God that God uses His mercy and responds with His mercy to those who have faith in Him, and God is not is not unrighteous. It's not that God's unrighteous. God shows mercy to whoever He wants, but He shows He He shows mercy to those who have faith in Him. So now in in 19 through 21, Paul is going to anticipate a question. And this is a more difficult, it was a a more difficult question for me, um, trying to to get my hands around this. Um, But in verse 19, he says, Will you say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who has resisted his will? The question is... um, why does God still find fault in those who aren't chosen? So if God chooses you, and He chooses to show mercy to you, and He chooses not to show mercy to someone else, why does He still, why does he still find fault in that person? Why does He still find fault in Pharaoh? Because, um, because He didn't choose Pharaoh. Well, Paul's going to give three answers to this question. One is in verse 20, or two is in verse 20, and he gives them by actually asking rhetorical questions. Questions that they should have understand. Verse 20, he says, But indeed, O man, who are you to reply against God? So Paul asks this question. Who are you to question God? God is sovereign. God can do what he wants. God can God can choose to harden or reject someone just like he chooses to show mercy to you and me. If God can't show you mercy, or I'm sorry, if God can't can't reject someone, then he can't show mercy. Because then he's not sovereign. But God is sovereign. And who are you to question God? And then again, in, at the in uh, the second part of verse twenty, he said, "Will the thing formed say to him who formed it, Why have you made me like this?' <clears throat> Does the creation have the right to question its form? God raised up Pharaoh. God raised up Pharaoh so that God could use Pharaoh to show his power and his name." Does Pharaoh have a right to question God because God raised him up for that purpose? No. No, Pharaoh didn't have the right. God was going to use Pharaoh to show his power and to reveal his name to the entire world. And Pharaoh doesn't have the right to to challenge God in that. What Pharaoh needs to do is Pharaoh needs to decide. Is he going to look at the evidence and respond in faith? Or is he going to see the evidence and ignore it? But he didn't have the right. God raises up whoever he wants to raise up. And just like he did that with with, um, Pharaoh, he took the kingdom away from Saul because Saul did not honor him. And so God is sovereign. God can... The, the, the creation doesn't have the right to challenge God um, about its form. And then finally, in verse 21, 
the answer, the third answer is, does not the potter have power over the clay for from the same lump to make one vessel for honor and another for dishonor? <clears throat> so so the, the, the question is, doesn't God have the right to do with His creation as He sees fit? Well, we all know the answer to that. I mean, this is... This is my house. I can do in my house what I want to do, right? This is mine. Well, we all, we all understand that the Creator has the right to take and form and, and, and form whatever He wants to make and use that for His own purpose. But the overall idea of this, of this, these three, when I try to, <clears throat> It was hard for me to, to, to put it together, but I think the total unifying idea behind these three things, behind these three responses, and the question um, is that God is sovereign. Our God is sovereign, and He can, he can choose to bless those whom He wants to bless, and He can choose to reject those whom He wants to reject. <clears throat> If you're looking in the um, in the notes that Eddie that Eddie uh, prepared in verse I'm sorry in three e he makes this point. This does not imply that God is doing anything that's against His nature. It's only an affirmation of the truth that God does not owe us any explanation for what He does. Amen. Amen. It's it's uh, you know um, it may be a hard thing, and Paul uses so much logic and gives so many explanations for what he does. But there's just some things that God that we're just going to have to accept by faith and accept from God. And and when it all boils down to it, whether we like it or not, God doesn't have to have to give us an explanation. So. <clears throat> Throughout this chapter and the rest of chapters 10 and 11, God, uh, Paul is dealing with the Jews' rejection of the Messiah. And in 25 through 27, Paul's going to make two very important, important points. And he's going to... And, yes, sir. God doesn't have to explain. Sometimes we're not mature enough to understand why God does what He does. And and but but God will God will always give us enough enough of the, enough information where we can understand. But but um, yeah, I think you're right, brother. 
sometimes uh, we're, we may be so immature that um, we couldn't handle, that we can't handle the, um, the reasons behind all of this. And, and so, so God chooses not to go there. So, um, so in 25 through 27, Paul's going to make two very important points that, um, that are going to show that salvation is not through the lineage. It's not through... It's, <clears throat> salvation is not what the Jews thought it was. That you can't depend on who your heritage is for your salvation. And then when those two points are combined, uh, Paul's gonna, when they're combined into a central theme, it's really going to come down and make Paul's point. So in verse, um, in verse 25 and 26, Paul refers to Hosea. And he says, Hosea said, I will call them my people who were not my people, and her beloved, and her beloved who was not my beloved. And it shall come to pass in the place where it was said to them, You are not my people. They shall be called the sons of the living God. <clears throat> in about 1095, the kingdom split. And you had the north and the south. And then 722, the northern, the northern tribes, the ten tribes of Israel were carried off into Assyrian captivity never to be uh, never to become a nation again and um, before that happened Hosea writes to Israel around 780 BC so so very far back in Israel's ancient writings even their own prophets that like you said Doug, they used they used these prophets to prove who they were Hosea says that um, it's always been God's intention. It's always been God's plan to um, to bless the Gentiles. The blessing, the promise that was given to Abraham all the way back in Genesis was intended to bless all the nations. And Hosea here, after thousands of years later... He confirms that. He writes that. So, so really, this is nothing new to the Jews, who have who've rejected um, who have rejected Christ, and and Paul saying you should be familiar with this. They should have known this. This was in their history, and so in twenty seven through twenty nine, he's going to make another point, and he's going to he's going to go to Isaiah, the great prophet Isaiah. And, and he's going to make the prophet make the, the the promise or make the point that that Israel was always going to have problems. In verse twenty nine it says um, oh sorry let me back up. Verse twenty seven Isaiah also cries out concerning Israel Though the number of the children of Israel be as the sand of the sea, the remnant will be saved. 
the remnant will be saved. But you've got this numerous, numerous amount of people. But he says the remnant will be saved. And then he goes on and explains what that means in verse 29. It says, and as Isaiah said before, unless the Lord of Sabbath had left us a seed, we would have become like Sodom and we would have been made like Gomorrah. What do we know about Sodom and Gomorrah? Well, they were completely destroyed. And, and we understand why they were completely destroyed, right? There was wickedness there. There was terrible wickedness there. And Isaiah likens Israel, likens the, the character, likens the, um, the lifestyle, likens the nation of Israel. He associates them with Sodom and Gomorrah. He said we would have ended up just like Sodom and Gomorrah. Or that's that, yeah, that's what Isaiah says. If it hadn't, and if it hadn't been for God, there wouldn't even have been a remnant. But God chose there will be a remnant. There's even a remnant today. They're just called Christians. We don't know who they are. It may be possible that every descendant of Jacob has died off. I don't think so. But they're not God's chosen people because of their lineage. They're God's chosen people because they get in line just like the other nations and they become Christians. They are, they are Christians. So when you put these two together, God always intended to bless the Gentiles and there would only be a remnant from Israel that was going to survive you get the great idea that um, that um, the lineage, the lineage from Paul, I mean from from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, doesn't matter. If you're in that lineage, unless you're one of the remnant, you're not going to be saved. And you can be saved if you're not in that lineage, because where they said you're not my people, I will call you. My people. So, 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 the nation, the nation no more, or, or we can't say God, Israel is God's chosen people anymore. Now, some of us, and even these Jews, they may not like that. We may not like that. In fact, in fact, our nation, I think our nation has a lot built up, a lot of capital built up around the fact that Israel is God's chosen people. But Paul would argue different than that. And he does argue different than that. And, um, and so in 30 through 33, he's going to make a, uh, an important conclusion. And he, it's, uh, well, it's, just, it's just a simple conclusion. Um, in verse 30, he says, What shall we say then, that Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness, have obtained righteousness, even the righteousness of faith. So the Gentiles, they had the righteousness. The Gentiles can now share in the righteousness that comes through faith. The righteousness that's saved. The righteousness that says you're sinful and you deserve to die, but because you have faith, God is going to credit your account. It's an accounting term. I enjoyed that, being that that's my profession. God is going to give you credit for something that you don't deserve. 
That's what the Gentiles obtain. But he's going to go on and say, but Israel, pursuing the law of righteousness, has not obtained the law of righteousness. And what I love about, what I really, really like about Paul, he uses this next phrase, this next word, why. Why is that, Paul? And then he says, because. He's going to give us the answer. Because they did not seek it by faith, but as it were by the works of the law, for they stumbled at the stumbling stone as it was written. Behold, I, I lay in Zion a stumbling block, a stumbling stone and a rock of offense. And whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. The stumbling block is Jesus. And as long as we believe on Him, we'll not suffer. We'll have the mercies of God. God's sovereignty will be opened up and allow us to be blessed. We won't have to, have to incur the justice of God. <clears throat> but the Jews miss that. So... So uh, it looks like everybody's uh, it's time for class to be over. One thing I got out of this study, and that is Paul uses Scripture like, like, like it won't stop. There's Paul's, Paul is, is, um, is really good at using Scripture. And if Paul uses Scriptures to make his point, I think that's a way for us to make our points too and to understand God. Thanks.